the feeling of vampire last year better than any other times that I've seen. It was just unbelievable seeing everybody scream, you know, shouting out all these different secrets and stuff like that that was going on and releasing secrets, backstabbing each other, because I was right next to the vampire table. So I just got to hear about their backstabbing the entire time. And it was it was interesting. And then the mages, we just had them all just sitting there doing philosophical debates about their secrets. You know, it wasn't it wasn't as much of I'm gonna use this as a weapon as much as it's like, let's use this to understand what's happening in the game. Yeah. No, that that was that was a great distinction that the mages were just like sitting around debating things while the vampires were sitting around you know, trying to jockey for power. Welcome to Episode 1 of Crossing Darkness, a podcast where we explore the World of Darkness role-playing game with an emphasis on crossing the streams. In this episode, your hosts Moto Rory and Frozen Fallout discuss Madison Under Siege with their own tabletop LARP and two of the characters in that story, Leah Goodwin and Arlen Castor. Join us now as we take our first steps onto the bridge as we attempt Crossing Darkness. Welcome to episode one of Crossing Darkness. I am Michael Christensen, known as Moto Rory, and this is Josh. Josh, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Josh, also known as Frozen Fallout. Okay, uh, so Frozen Fallout, what is this podcast all about? Uh, well, Mike, uh, what we're planning on uh, doing for uh, a weekly podcast is uh, a basic uh, podcast about the world of darkness and uh, what we're um, working on as a uh, event project that we do for like Gen Con and uh, a lot of different conventions, Midwinter, um, Origins and the like that we're uh, going to be running uh, events that uh, cross the uh, streams of the world of darkness bringing together mage vampire werewolf hunter demon and a lot of the different uh game lines that uh they have awesome so why don't we just get into uh the game that we've been running at gen con so i'll just uh start off by saying that it's uh we've been running it for two years now and the uh the first year we did two 10 hour long games with four tables each of uh, one table of hunter, a table of vampire, a table of mage, and a table of werewolf. Uh, so I was the werewolf uh, GM, and Josh was the mage GM. And Josh, why don't you uh, just explain where that game came from and kind of where it's been going and and what the what the structure is? Sure. Yeah. Um, so the game came from um, basically I've uh, done a lot of uh, tabletop and uh, I was. Uh, checking out a lot of different LARPs at uh, conventions, specifically uh, Gen Con. And I went to one of the LARPs that had a lot of the different supernaturals in it. They had mages, uh, vampires, and werewolves, um, and fairies. So I went to this LARP, and I saw a group of uh, werewolves hanging out around a table for three days during the entire convention and the entire LARP. And I was like, well, if a bunch of uh, high-level werewolves can sit at a table during a LARP, I might be able to get a bunch of high-level werewolves or high-level vampires or high-level mages or whatever and get them to sit at a table for the entire, you know, LARP, basically. Um, And so I got this idea of, like, mixing tabletop and LARP using tabletop rules, going with higher-level characters um, that all have to do, you know, the, the meetings. And so everybody plays a mage and they sit at the mage table or if you're a werewolf you'd sit at the werewolf table you don't really mix the tabletops per se uh the main focus is the idea that there's a bunch of different supernaturals in the city and the higher level leadership always has to meet and do stuff so the base idea of the game was just this idea that it's going to be people holding higher level diplomatic meetings um doing you know world of darkness tabletop type stuff um, but focusing it around you know a little bit more of the larp elements having you know deeper background stories and having more of the in-character interactions giving information to just one character so that they can disperse it to the rest of the the characters during the meetings and stuff like that so i started running games at gen con based on this um i had a, a vampire the masquerade game that went over really well that was just a six-person player game where it was just Vampire the Masquerade. And then I moved it on to um, having four tables where we had Vampire, Werewolf, Mage, and Hunter. 
and we did the next year at Gen Con. We did that. Uh, that went really well. We had um, a little under 30 people. And then uh, last year at Gen Con, uh, we had a, a full sold out event. Yeah, awesome. So I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out the history here because I was there for all of it. Now it was it was 2015 when you ran the Vampire game. And that uh, was, yeah. How long were the games when you ran that? That was I did two. I did two different games, and they were eight-hour games. Um, I was I, it was uh, four p.m. to midnight, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. And it was uh, max six players. Um, yep, yeah, max six players. And then I I remember from Gen Con that year that you know what was it the the second day or maybe the first day you said that you know they were trading you know. Slips of paper, and they were giving you secrets, and they were backstabbing each other, and yeah, it was a very interactive game. It was one of the most uh, like interactive games that I've seen. Where it was, uh, I mean, besides the the later games that we developed, but at that point, it was the game that I'd never seen so much paper throwing, people pulling each other aside to talk to each other, people pulling me aside to talk to me about secret information about what they wanted to do. And uh, the big thing that stands out to me, too, was um, I had a, a guy who showed up who said, hey, uh, are you really going to be going the whole time? Because I've, I've got a LARP that I've got to go to at like eight o'clock. I got to leave. And I said, yeah, that's fine. You can jump in. We are going to go the full time, but you can jump in and, and jump out if you want. Um, and then when it got around to like eight o'clock or something like that, he was like, I was like, oh, you know, it's it's wrapping up to the point where you're going to head out. So if you want to do something or we, we can work on something about getting you out. And he's like, wait a minute, what? No, I'm not leaving. I'm, yeah. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't part. leave this game now. And we actually went a little bit later. Like, I think we went like 30 or 45 minutes over our time because people wanted to keep on playing. Yeah. And now, if I remember correctly, you said one of your players said, I've played a lot of Vampire but I didn't really play Vampire until this game. Yeah, that- yeah, a lot of that was the concept that, you know, he, they've all, a lot of people have played Vampire, but they've all played the lower level characters. They've played the, you know, I'm coming up from the ground up, or I'm, you know, I'm off on my own thing, or, you know, you're playing Vampire the Masquerade, but you're not playing the political game. And I had everybody play Primogen, and so he's he was blown away from the concept of what it was like to be a primogen and to be in primogen councils. And I would do like week downtimes where they would decide on what they'd do for a week. And then we'd go back into a meeting session about what happened during that week and what's coming up. And, you know, if it seems like that would just be slow and boring and nothing really going on. It's just these meetings that are happening. But that's where all the political intrigue happens. That's where all the backstabbing happens. That's where all the secrets, you know, come out and where people are maneuvering for position as a vampire. And it really got him to see what it's like to be a true vampire and not just, you know, a newborn. Yeah. And, and I feel like we've we've transitioned you know, perfectly through uh, since then, 2015, to this past Gen Con, when our friend Amber ran the vampire table for our uh, one eight-hour game. And she had full full 10 players, right? Yeah, yeah, and we, yeah, so we boosted it up to 10 players after we did my, my six-player game, because I really felt that I had one game that was only four people. It was still good, it was fun, but I felt like, Eight would be really great. Ten we could handle. Six is good. Yeah. And, so I would and, prefer, you know, the range between ten and, and six people than six and four people. Yeah, and it, it particularly the the way we run the game works perfectly for vampire because of the amount of backstabbing that goes on. So in this this past Gen Con in twenty seventeen, I was at the other end of this long room, right? I was I was running the hunter table and Amber was running the vampire table. And I didn't even know until after, like, the game at the end that all the vampire players were just constantly messing with each other. And I, I was, I suppose I'm not surprised, but it was it was a good thing to find out that these people who have played vampire for a long time just really enjoyed that setup. So... Um, yeah, it was something that was really kind of interesting was the... the, the the statements by the players at the end. So we did like a wrap up at the end just to kind of get an idea of um, what everybody thought was the most fun thing that they did or what best interaction did they have with another player. 
and a, a lot of people mentioned that they just felt like everybody played their clans right, um, that the background stories were well, well written um, since we, you know, created pre-made characters for them. We had a couple sheets of background information with a bunch of, you know, this is who you know, this is the stuff that you know, this is the plan, These are this is what's been going on the past year, this is what was going on 100 years ago, you know, kind of got everybody up to speed, but the players really mentioned a lot about how they felt all the other players did a really great job jumping right into their characters, and I think that that really brought the the feeling of vampire last year better than any other times that i've seen it was just unbelievable seeing everybody scream you know shouting out all these different secrets and stuff like that that was going on and releasing secrets backstabbing each other because i was right next to the vampire table so i just got to hear about their backstabbing the entire time and it was it was interesting and then the mages we just had them all just sitting there doing philosophical debates about their secrets you know it wasn't it wasn't as much of i'm going to use this as a weapon as much as it's like let's use this to understand what's happening in the game yeah no that, that was that was a great distinction that the mages were just like sitting around debating things while the vampires were sitting around you know, trying to jockey for power. But now speaking of that, that's the other big aspect of this game that that we try to in- incorporate, and that's inter-table play, which, which I would call the LARP element. So since this is called Crossing Darkness, and it's all about crossing the streams, how did you feel it went at Gen Con this past year for the interactions between the different factions, given that it's usually difficult to put that into a context of, you know, tabletop, you know, you can't, it's very rare to have, you know, mages and werewolves and vampires mixed in a tabletop setting, whereas that's exactly what we do, uh, well, kind of, in, in our game. Right, yeah, I think uh, some of the things that was really great about uh, last year's mixing of tables, and I, um, I don't think we've mentioned the name, actually, uh, it's Madison Under Siege is uh, the events that we run, the, the campaign, basically, that, that we're running for the last few years here, and you can see that at, you can usually see uh, our events at Gen Con or Game Hole Con or a lot of other conventions out there. But last year, what we did, I think, was one of the best examples of why what we do really works, which is we don't we don't want to cross the mechanics. The mechanics are the hardest things to cross in the world of darkness. And I think that's where everybody gets really hung up, is that there's um, there's very different rules for mages than there is for werewolves. You know, the base game is all there. They all have skills, abilities, attributes, stuff like that but they don't have the same powers. They don't have the same kind of thought of balancing between the powers or exactly how everything works out between the supernatural interactions that there are. So what we do in order to prevent um, the crossover of mechanics is to have you all sit at your own table. So if you're playing a hunter game, you're playing by hunter mechanics. You know, there is some interplay that we have to deal with you know, some of the times, but a lot of the times, for example, we had a, a mage and a werewolf or a mage and a, a, a vampire that a mind mage of five and a vampire with dominate of five. And, yeah, that's you know, just a quick thing that Amber, what was that? That was uh, one of my favorite stories from that game. Yeah. And that was, no it was an interesting just fight with, with each other that happened during the LARP where it was, uh, you know, a, the vampire wanted to dominate a mind mage. And so, Amber, who was uh, running, uh, not really running the scene because it was just kind of an interaction, they, they grabbed Amber real quick and said, hey, I want to do this. And Amber said, well, you, you both have the same level. Um, we're just going to, like, I think she just had him pick a number. And, you know, so we just kind of quickly threw together a, a quick mechanic and whoever, you know, was closest to that number without going over, you know, between one and 10 was the one who won. You know, we just quickly grabbed some kind of, oddball mechanic and just decided to run with it because we're we're not really worried about in the larping and stuff like that about the mechanics as much as we are about the players working with each other and talking to each other and stuff like that um it's also a time for people to go to the restroom and go get a drink or go grab something to eat real quick because it is you know an an hour downtime for you to kind of unravel there's a bunch of stuff that you just got done reading stuff like that but i think that that's really what really helps with our game is to separate those mechanics and then we we really bring in the meta story though and that's where i think i mean 
basically, if you read Vampire the Masquerade or any of the, you know, material from Vampire the Masquerade, they're talking about mages. They're talking about werewolves. The the uh, Time of the Thin Blood talks very much about what the mages and uh, vampires and hunters, or I think it was mages and Quasian and which are vampires of the East and mages uh, and, and vampires all got together and destroyed an antediluvian. Um, so the meta story is, is already built to cross the streams. It's already very strongly there. Now they have like their end books that don't cross with each other, but that's what we're doing is we're taking the end of the world and we're mixing it all together. Uh, you know, we're using stuff like the nameless from mage, we're using antediluvians and the time of the thin blood from vampire. And we're using, you know, the apocalypse, you know, red star and, and crazy stuff that's going on with the werewolves. And we're, we're mixing that all together to create our own, you know, end game meta story while using all of the past history. So if, if you know about vampire, you know, majority of our game up to the year 2000. Now what happens after year 2000, you know, vampire and mage and everything really hasn't done a lot beyond that. And they're coming out with fifth edition right now. They did 20th anniversary edition, which gave some solid updates. They have uh, Beckett's D Jihad Diary that just came out, um, which I'm currently in the process of reading. Yeah, and that those are some really great books that bring the meta up, but they don't really move you forward as much uh, as what we've done. So we've brought you from the year 2000 to the year 2016 or 17, I think is where we're at right now, and we we mix that meta story in there. So that's where we take the strengths of the meta story and use that to our advantage. And we make sure that we don't mix mechanics as much as we possibly can to ensure that we have a smooth game overall. And I think that last year was a great example of how that worked out perfect. I mean, we had 40 people, four tables, 10 people at a table, and it worked out perfect. Yeah, yeah. As, as a GM, you know, even without too much experience, it was strange to be able to run a 10-person table, and after about, I think, the second hour, it wasn't really me doing very much. You know, I was just kind of there to help people if they had any questions, and that, that was it. Right, yeah, we run it much more like a LARP. Um, now, we did have, like, the, the two-hour combat in the beginning. Yeah, and, and um, we have other table sessions where it's, you know, it's just your faction, and... And those sessions do involve more mechanics and dice rolling. Right. Yep. And and uh, but yeah, when it comes to a majority of the game, like especially the the first alpha vampire game that I ran was it was very much me sitting back and like you know waiting for the flurry of notes to stop happening for everybody to finish their discussion about what they were going to be doing because I had like a murder mystery that they had like one of the primogen had died and you know all the other supernatural factions leaders had died and we kind of brought that into the into the current game that we have as well because we we kind of redid that but had all the different factions deal with that uh leadership death um in our first year game but in you know, it worked, it worked out really well because, you know, everybody had a little bit of piece of the pie as to what was going on. And they all had to like, you know, put their piece on the table in order to really figure out what was going on, but it's vampire. So it's not that simple. It's not just, you know, here's the information, let's move forward. It's how do I use this information to screw with everybody else at the table? How do I jockey for position? How do I become prince? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas the werewolves were just all about, you know, we need to avenge the death of our master. Or that was that was actually the second day of uh, uh, Gen Con. Yeah, the first Gen Con. Yeah. yeah. Or no, that was 2016. Yeah, right? yeah 2016. And yeah, it was, it was a really great example. I think this year as well was a really great example, though, of, of how every group did their own things. You know, it was something that was kind of pointed out by one of the uh, players, actually, in our wrap-up video that we have where they were like, you know, the, the vampires were all backstabbing themselves. The mages were all talking philosophically about everything that was going on. The uh, mages, or I'm sorry, the vamp werewolves were all very together, you know, at least outward appearance. It seemed like the werewolves were 100% unison. There was no fighting between them to everybody else in 
the game. But of course, there's always tension. There's always not agreeing to a certain degree, but they've appeared 100% solidified to the outside world. And, you know, the hunters are, you know, going around in a lot of the times, but at least what I saw with the hunters was a lot of them backing and trying to create and make sure that anybody that was in involved in this thing was good quote unquote, you know, and anybody who is bad, quote unquote, they were prepping to, you know, to kill or to overthrow or to help somebody else, you know, that was trying to contain the quote unquote evil person. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, how about uh, a couple of character profiles? Yeah. from uh from our gen con game madison under siege uh so i will be doing arlen caster one of the hunters uh josh and which, uh, character are you gonna do and i will be doing uh leah goodwin which is our celestial choir um leader of uh madison all right so yeah take it away who is leah goodwin uh so yeah, Leah Goodwin is the uh, current leader of the Celestial Choir. She um, has had quite a history. I'm going to start off with her beginning history and then catch you up as to what uh, happened with her in the game. So the uh, character is uh, Leah Goodwin. She is a uh, Spaniard. Her father is uh, British. Her mother is Spanish. Both of them died at a very young age, and she was uh, left during or left at an orphanage in uh, Spain uh, during the Spanish Revolution in 1935. And so she grew up during World War II, basically, uh, as a nun in an orphanage, and, or well, as, as a child in an orphanage, as an orphan, and eventually became a nun at the age of uh, 17, dedicating her life to God and, and the like. And she um, ended up awakening one night after a uh, military raid came on the orphanage to uh, steal the children, it was a bunch of uh, famore and uh, you know evil things that uh, were masquerading as soldiers, basically trying to uh, steal children. She saved them and was awakened during that time. Um, she doesn't remember much of the awakening except for that she uh, ended up destroying the uh, Fomori that were trying to harm the children. And from there, she uh, spent uh, time training then underneath the uh, Celestial Choir um, as they uh, had identified her uh, a little bit earlier than that and had brought her in after her awakening. And she ended up uh, making her way over to Madison after many years, looks like, oh, 1974. She arrived around Madison, um, brokering a deal between the Hermetic Order and the Dream Speakers. So that was one of her main reasons for coming to Madison, was to be basically a peace broker. Um, she wasn't the leader of Madison at that time. It wasn't until um, 1992, or I'm sorry, the year 2004, when a... Uh, when her master died to a technocratic assault. Um, so in 2004, she uh, still wasn't the leader at that time. She was second in command to Stephen. During the events of uh, 2016, um, which is our major, or our Gen Con game of 2016, Stephen was uh, discovered to be a Nefandi infiltrator and was killed. Um, so in 2017 or 2017 Gen Con game, we had her um, become the leader of uh, not just the mages of, uh, or the, the Celestial Choir, but the mages of the, the Madison as well. Um, she became the full-on leader at the end of the 2016 game. The 2017 game, she started off as the leader and representative to a group called the Gahara Pact, which uh, had formulated basically a supernatural alliance. 
and that's something that we'll get into more um, in, in further episodes as to what this Gahara Pact is that we created here in Madison. Basically, yeah, we'll, she's the we'll representative of history uh, podcast on that one. Yeah, yep. So we're, we'll be doing a history podcast that'll go over a little bit more about what's going on in Madison here. Um, but basically, there's a supernatural pact um, of mages, vampires, werewolves, and hunters that are standing up against a uh, being called the Nameless, who may or may not have already taken over the world in, in subtle, subterfuge ways. In any case, though, uh, so she um, was outed in uh, 2017, um, our last year's game, um, as being a Nefandi infiltrator herself. She was, and she didn't even know that she was a Nefandi infiltrator. She had a, uh, she had been abducted at a small uh, age and awakened actually earlier by the nameless and had uh, basically dual split personality. One was the good side that tried doing good for everybody. And one was the one that would try and use those good actions to actually screw over everybody. Um, was, you know, a very subtle type uh, manipulation that was happening. And she was behind back doors screwing over everybody. Um, this came out at the end of uh, our game in 2017. And the players, instead of killing her, which was, my intent as a GM was to get the players to kill her. Uh, they really wanted to save her. Um, so I have, have split the personalities and we're kind of starting out with her uh, next year as being completely separated from the nameless, but she doesn't remember exactly all the stuff that her alternate ego has done or all the things that her alternate ego knew. And so we're starting her off uh, this year as a very different position because she used to be the leader. She used to be running a lot of different stuff. And now she is kind of going to be in almost like an interrogation as to what she knows uh, about the nameless and all the things that are happening in our city here. Cool. Uh, now, I was wondering if you could uh, tell me the story about what happened at the end of Gen Con 2016. If I remember correctly, the the girl playing Leah Goodwin had a shouting match with somebody in the hallway. Ah, yes, yeah. There was well, not really a shouting match as much as uh, two mages. Um, so during the um, 2016 game, we we did a representative vote as to who would be the representative of uh, the Kahara Pack for the mages, for the hunters, for the werewolves, and for the vampires. Um, the end vote came down as a tie for the mages, um, where Leah Goodwin, the player playing, or the the character was uh, had a tie vote with the Hollow One, who had gathered a lot of support from the other supernatural groups, um, and they had a tie vote. And uh, the two players decided to go into the uh, hallway and have a little bit of a heated discussion as to what they would do. Um, I wouldn't call it a, a shouting match, but it definitely uh, maybe got a little bit a little bit tense there. But from my understanding, the end result of that uh, conversation was primarily that Leah Goodwin would become the representative and that the Hollow Ones would be accepted as a full-on tradition in Madison. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that I loved about that that exchange was it seemed like the players were angry with each other. But after the fact, they described it as, you know, one of the best gaming experiences that they've, they've had. Because it was, it was, they actually got to, you know, embody those characters. Am I remembering that correctly? Absolutely, yeah. I remember them coming out and it was, uh, every, I don't remember who it was, but somebody I think said something like, is, is everything okay? And they were like, oh yeah, yeah, we were just, we just had a, a lot of fun role-playing that whole situation out basically yeah and I, i've actually I'm, I'm surprised at how often i've seen that happen because i know that at in 2016 when i was running the werewolf table uh, our now vampire gm amber played the uh the shadow lord and a lady from from wisconsin happened to be there playing the bone gnar and by the end of the second day they were really good friends in in like real life but their characters just hated each other and it was just awesome because because amber really loved playing the the shadow lord to the hilt 
yeah, I felt that that was that was some really great interactions, and those two just talking to each other after game two was was a lot of uh, like I, I think we met up with her a couple of times, and uh, it was just really cool to kind of see that connection that you know two complete strangers made with each other at, at such a short amount of time, and I really think that that's something that having those deep background characters you know with goals and histories and stuff like that can really help people jump into it and then take on a persona that normally you know normally I wouldn't hate this person but because my character you know kind of leans towards this direction and the way that I'm going to embody the role play here it really allows you to be like I hate that other character but I don't it's not about hating the player and even if the player does screw me over it's not like you've this is a LARP where you've been playing for years and you come every, you know, every week to or every month to the game and you've been building up this big, huge thing and you're trying to, uh, you know, create your own story to a certain degree. Whereas we're so if you get screwed over by somebody that can be emotionally, you know, in real life damaging to some people, you know, they're they get upset and angry with that other person instead of the characters, whereas I think we as being a, an event-based game at Gen Con or other cons and stuff like that, allow for people to kind of jump in, embody, and really enjoy screwing or getting screwed over instead of having that uh, animosity that, that can come um, from what I've seen to a certain degree over, over the years of doing different LARPs. Yeah, and, and we've had lots of discussions about this, the aspect of, uh, not I wouldn't say typical, but like classic style LARP there's there's certain aspects of LARP that lots of people just don't like and that's that's why we think lots of people don't do it and the the two things that we've you know built into the base of this game that we run at Gen Con kind of takes care of that the first one is that we have pre-made characters that have a large backstory and goals uh and and, and power and power yeah so you don't necessarily have to build that up so so you can still get into the character but it's not necessarily your baby so it's it can be fun to lose as that character whereas if you're in a larp and you know you you have to come up with that on your own you have to come up with your own goals then it can be really devastating when you don't you know achieve that stuff or if somebody else screws you over which creates that animosity, which I have not seen in our games. I've, I've never seen players getting angry at each other. So I, I would say that we've done. Yeah, that's something that I'm, I'm really happy we haven't really run into any kind of true animosity. And I've, I've seen it at LARPs. Um, it's very rare. It's usually not an issue, um, but it's usually that, you know, there's sometimes undercurrent of, of the, you know, we know this guy is, is, you know, manipulating everybody and it's pissing me off or, you know, this, this person who's been playing for years is, you know, doing the same thing or this out of towner, you know, that this is, that's just how they play their game type stuff. You know, there can be a lot of different kind of under, underlying animosity that we don't see any of whatsoever in our games. Yeah. So is there anything else about Leah Goodwin that people should know about? Um, I would say that that would be the the main thing about her um, is that she had this crazy dark secret. It was it was kind of interesting because the first person to play her was from Spain. Um, so she did know a lot about the Spanish Revolution and she actually got me up to date on a lot of the stuff that's still going on because of the Spanish Revolution back in uh, 1935. So this is uh this is something that uh i found was really interesting was talking to somebody who you know was from spain and got to give me a lot of information on it um she did a really great job playing the character because i kind of you know gave her the full breakdown of what the character was the evil side that she has of her and i said you know i talked to her and she wasn't one you know had she didn't have 100 percent uh full easy grasp on the, the uh, English language. She definitely was fluent and, you know, didn't have any problems during the game, but the higher level int intricacies she wanted to try and stay away from. So we had her play just the good side of, of Leah Goodwin. So she never tried to do any nefandious type stuff, um, which got her to become the leader of the mages, you know, and then the next year we had a different person play Leah 
And uh, that person, you know, was the one who we worked a lot with trying to do Nefandi stuff while she was the leader. And that's, you know, to a certain degree, some of the stuff that, that got, you know, got her suspicion and stuff like that, where that eventually she got outed as being kind of an Afandi spy because of the split personality it was a very different situation than, you know, this is just a the same situation as what happened with Steven, because Steven was the celestial choir mage that was fully converted and was evil um, and wasn't a Fandy, whereas Leah was more of a split, um, that there really was a good side on her. It was just there was a, a, another side of her personality that was using anything that she did that was good and tried to turn it to, to an advantageous uh, situation for the nameless. Yeah. So, so in the next game uh, that we're going to be running at Gen Con 2018, so Leah's going to be just the good side. Is that my yes. understanding? Okay. Yep. And there, there is the bad side to her. Is 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 got its own body now. Um, it may or may not look like Leah, and it there there is possibly going to be complications due to the fact that they didn't kill Leah and that Leah is still alive. That she still has her other half out there, but it, the player won't be having to deal with that other half inside her head. It's, it's more of, there might be a physical being out there that they might have to deal with. Cool. Well, that sounds like fun. Anyway. Uh, so, so Mike, what do you, uh, what do you got for, for us on your side? All right. So I've got Arlen Caster, who is uh, a hunter. I won't bore you with the, uh, the mechanics. Uh, now, this, this backstory was originally written by uh, Brian, uh, our friend who was the first hunter GM. That I took over for and he's a little bit uh, edited from that but the basic idea is Arlen Caster is if safety became a person right so he was originally a firefighter who uh, left the profession uh, after he was the sole survivor of uh, an explosion he kind of bummed around for it says five years he worked as a safety consultant, a CPR instructor, a facilities manager, and then an EMT. At some point when he was an EMT, he became imbued during uh, trying to cut somebody out of a car uh, after a car accident. And uh, the passenger in the car, uh, not the person he was cutting out, was dead but also moving. Uh, and so he was the only one that saw that and he kind of freaked out. He still has a lot of PTSD from the explosion and, you know, seeing dead people and all that stuff. Uh, but essentially he, you know, he's dedicated his life to safety and that's no different at the, uh, the Hunter Academy. So currently at the Hunter Academy, he's the guy who makes sure that everybody has the proper safety training. So he teaches CPR, first aid, what to do if you're shot, stuff like that. Let's see if I can find it in here. Well, uh, he is also the facilities manager. Uh, and part of that is he is religious about running fire drills, uh, active shooter drills. Like, if, if he had his way, there would be drills for absolutely everything. And he kind of, he takes the view that combat training can help you out, but all the safety training is what's going to keep you alive. Right, so he doesn't have you know a super amount of complexity behind him, and and I gotta say at first when I I started trying to flesh out this character I didn't really like him, but the fact is he's really grown on me as just this guy who's so dedicated to keeping hunters in the fight, which you know there are lots of hunters out there that are totally fine with sacrificing people. For, for the hunt and Arlen Caster is not one of them if if he could wrap people in Kevlar and like what was it the joke that I always had was if he could get people to wear helmets all the time he would do it <laughs> but uh, but he, he can't get that through the board um, I wonder why yeah we should also probably mention that these are um, hunter the reckoning um, hunters, so they're not your your standard hunters. These are hunters with uh, imbued powers. Oh, you mean as opposed to hunters hunted? 
Right, instead of just regular hunters. Oh. Because um, I think a lot of people play with this concept of, of regular hunters, um, and we're using the, I believe it was released around the year 2000, Hunter the Reckoning, um, which are uh, magically imbued, um, almost, almost awakened-like humans who um, have very specific powers to fight supernaturals. Um, their powers don't work normally on humans, and they're very, very different than your standard human. They they are able to sense other supernaturals and see beyond the veil and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I hadn't really thought about that. That uh, most people, even if you're familiar with World of Darkness, you might not know about Hunter. And actually, at this past Gen Con when I ran Hunter, I found out about this phenomenon, you know, firsthand. There were, I think, out of ten people, five people at the table had either never played World of Darkness before or had never played Hunter. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, I'm fairly certain, if I remember correctly, they all had a good time, so I think I did a good job there. But the other half of the table were the Hunter superfans. Uh, at least two or three people said, this is so awesome, Hunter is my game. Uh, one person specifically says every year, nobody else will run this, thank you for running this. So yeah, what you were saying is Hunter is normal humans who are imbued with powers. So similar to Rage or I think uh, Quintessence, uh, Hunters have something called Conviction and they can spend it to turn on what is basically their standard power, the, the second sight. And then, you know, there's different descriptions as to how it's viewed by individual people, but the general idea is there are auras around supernatural creatures. It never really gets into what the colors are, that, that's the interpretation of the GM. For example, I think vampires are probably purple. That's, that's what I would say. But it could be lots of other different things, but the general idea is that hunters have this knowledge that comes from the base level of the universe to say that's not that's not something that should be. That's not something that's normal. Uh, in mage terms, it would be outside the paradigm. So they can see that somebody's a vampire. They can see that somebody's a mage. Their most common em enemy would be the undead. So vampires, zombies. There's actually a really good book in the Hunter line called The Walking Dead that goes into all the different uh, levels of undead. Yeah, and there's like this is all after Wraith um, had been destroyed. Um, so the the underworld is just filled with maelstroms right now. So they do a nice crossover um, with the two game lines that I really like, which is uh, Wraith the Risen, which is about uh, Wraith that jump into the bodies of uh, freshly dead mortals and allows them to become zombies but they're not zombies in the walk, walking shambling hordes type uh stuff although that, that that can eventually happen to them um but they start off they, they can go to work they can um you know let's say that i got murdered by somebody um 20 years ago that that murderer is still alive and i'm a wraith and i just got kicked out of the um shadowlands because of the maelstroms that were going on i jump into some dude's body i might go to work and you know try and find the, out where that guy is and try and act like a normal human being for as long as I possibly can until my body starts decaying. Um, and eventually my body, and I, I, if I remember correctly, the Wraith's mind will also decay to the point where it'll become a shambling horde. And so they, they can become like regular zombies, but I like that crossover that they did since this is after that um you also mentioned though that uh, you've got an academy which is not something that's uh standard in uh hunter could you uh, oh, maybe yeah. let our listeners know a little bit about that academy yeah so in general hunter has the feel of survival horror where you're just being you know bombarded by brand new knowledge of oh my god they're supernatural creatures oh my god they want to kill people oh my god i have to kill them because that's Kind of an aspect of hunters you are somewhat compelled uh, to go and kill supernaturals and so it has this theme of slowly going insane and eventually dying in this hunt that that you're compelled to take part in 
and that doesn't exactly work with our setting. So the difference that I created is uh, hunters have been around for a long time. They've definitely gone up in number since 2000, which is when the, uh, the maelstrom happened. Uh, but this guy back in the, uh, the 70s became imbued, became a hunter, and eventually created an academy. And long story short, they figured out how to stave off the insanity that is normally associated with being a hunter. So they specifically go out and they find hunters and they say, this is what you are. They, they probably honestly have a packet that you get. And, you know, they, they bring you through, like, these are kind of what your powers are. You know, let's, let's see what kind of powers you have. You know, this is called the second sight. They're basically a training academy for this particular type of, type of supernatural. So instead of these insular groups all over the country that find each other through happenstance and hunt vampires and eventually die at the hands of, you know, random supernaturals, this academy goes out and finds these people, brings them in, trains them, figures out whether or not they're capable of, you know, functioning society. Uh, then they have the option they can... You know, either join the military wing of the academy, which is the hunters that go out and do the killing. Uh, they can join the academic part of the academy, which is obviously studying supernaturals. So they do lots of surveillance. They do, you know, studies. Uh, they, they talk to vampires, especially now that the Kahara Pact is in place. They see if certain powers work on mages or don't, or... You know, they, they study zombies, or the hidden, as they're called, the, the ones that can still pass for being alive. And then, if you don't want to join the hunt, the, the Hunter Academy will set you up with a job somewhere in generally the United States, but yes, all over the world. And they do check-ins, you know, at least once a month, if not more often. Make sure you're okay, you know. We call these the Watchers. They're, they're out there in the world. And... Anytime the Hunter Academy sees, you know, indications that there might be a supernatural, such as a vampire or a mage operating in a city, or, or anywhere for that matter, the Hunter can go and, you know, the, the Watchers out in there can, can go and take a look and turn on their second sight and, and do some surveillance. So they've, they've created this, or the Academy and myself as the storyteller, have created this kind of new paradigm for hunters where it's it's kind of more like i would say the camarilla for vampires it's an organization that kind of fosters an internal culture that gives us a framework for how these things work rather than what would typically be a hunter storyline which is okay you're all imbued you're barely more powerful than a normal human and let's go and get scared by just the lowest level vampires you can possibly find which right so so in your game you're playing the higher level characters you're yeah. playing people that have been imbued for 16 years or so give or take and one thing if you're wondering um, if you might have heard him talk about how one of the hunters uh, became imbued in the 70s um, some of you might be wondering well hunter only came out after the year 2000s how is that possible highly suggest you go back and read the inquisition book and you'll see that uh, hunters um, with very similar powers, if not the same exact powers, have been around um, for hundreds of years. Um, and usually they come about during times of great need, during Gehennas and stuff like that. And if you read the Beckett's Jihad Diary, you'll learn also more about the concepts of multiple jihads and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, that kind of goes in, uh, I was going to mention... So my general view of hunters in, in terms of the, the meta story is that they are very much like the immune system of the universe, right? When too much supernatural activity, uh, you know, threatens the, the peace of human existence, humans will be imbued with these powers in order to fight against that. And especially right now in, in the storyline that, that we're running, now is the perfect time to have thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of hunters just popping up over the course of a few years. So currently in my meta story, there's 
around 2,000 to 2,500 hunters under the purview of the Hunter Academy. And in the last Gen Con game, because of the, the, the deteriorating situation out in the, the world at large, lots of hunters have petitioned to come back to the Academy, and the leadership of the Academy in the last game voted to allow that. So essentially, the Academy is going to be building a lot of new buildings, you know, dormitories, they're going to be buying up some, uh, uh, some property to, to house these people. Uh, because Madison is pretty much the safest place in the world right now for supernaturals. And, and we'll get into why that is probably on a different episode. Absolutely. So. All right. Well, I think that's good for our little uh, character breakdowns here. We should probably just uh, go in a little bit uh, and let you guys know what we're going to be doing in the future here. Oh, yeah. Um, so some of the stuff that we're going to be doing, um, we're definitely going to be doing storytelling advice and world building advice to, to assist people um, that want to, you know, kind of get some advice as to what to do as storytellers or how to um, assist with world building uh, really quickly on that. I highly suggest everybody check out the Chicago by night book, the first edition. It's probably the best uh, city book I've ever read. And uh, other than that, though, uh, there's lots of resources, and we'll be talking a lot about that um, through, uh, in our future podcasts. We'll also be doing uh, book reviews. Um, so I have a lot of, uh, I definitely want to do a book review on the Silver Record and the Revelations of the Dark Mother, the Book of Nod, um, a lot of the little books, because we're going to be using them in our next game. Uh, we're going to have a lot of the prop books and you will as players will actually and characters will actually have possession of these uh books so we're going to do a lot of different reviews on that is there anything you wanted to review mike that you're yes. looking forward to uh i i think probably one of the first ones i want to do is the ananasi book uh from the changing breeds line I've oh been, very good book i've been leafing through it for the past few months and uh i gotta say it's i wish somebody would put it into a game that I've run or ran, uh, been a part of because absolutely pretty fascinating. Yeah. If you guys haven't, if you're not familiar with the wear spiders, they are not, uh, they don't, they, you can choose what triad you want to follow, whether that's the weaver, the worm or the wild. Um, they're very crazy. Uh, they're very special. They're, there's something that I highly suggest everybody that is into uh, the higher level meta of werewolf to check out the Ananasi because that's, a really solid meta book um, and and very great characters to introduce into your chronicles. Yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I think we could probably do uh, what like a, a five hour episode on our personal interpretations of the the, the Weaver Wild and the Worm. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. We, yeah. Someday we might have to have a uh, discussion about um, and we, and me and me and Mike go back and forth. We talk a lot about the higher highest level of meta, like um, you know the the book of uh, Lilith or the, uh, the dark revelation revelations of the dark mother are very um, special. Uh, there's a lot of different stuff inside of there that talks about a lot of the higher level meta. Um, of stuff that's going on and uh, a lot of the books that are out there and me and Mike talk a lot about what is, you know, who, who is Jehovah, you know, who is Yahweh, who is, who is Lucifer, Lilith and Cain and what, you know, what actually happened. And if you take in the world of darkness, vampire and the world of darkness, uh, mage, uh, you know, stuff like that, that'll have major different uh, things here. So, yeah. And, and there's, there's snippets from so many books. Like I just mentioned the Anunnaki book. There's, it starts with a huge story that specifically refers to the weaver, the wild and the worm at the beginning of time uh, and then creating stuff and destroying stuff and maintaining things. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think that'll be an interesting one. Um, yeah. I'm really looking forward to uh, doing some book reviews on that for the podcast. So I'm uh I'm definitely, um, and we'll definitely have to have like a little sit down and discussion about uh, all what's going on or all the things that we've discussed in the past, maybe have like a, a meta story, super long podcast or break it up into multiple episodes. Yeah, well, we could, um, we could do, a, you know, a, an anthology, figure that out. So one of the things that I want to do for the podcast is uh, GM interviews. So that would involve, you know, the GMs of our game for Gen Con. Uh, 
I, I'm lucky enough to have a friend who's been running a mage game for, I think it's just over three years now, that's been a weekly game that's pretty impressive, uh, mage game. Uh, so probably an interview with him, and classically just, you know, lots of GMs, because we do go to a lot of conventions, so I want to do that. I've had a, an idea kicking around in my head for a long time uh, called Motorori's Combat Corner. One of the things that I find interesting about World of Darkness is that, uh, at least in the games that I've played, we typically don't use the more esoteric bits and pieces from the, the vast library of source books that we have access to. And so I've always wondered, you know, rather than shoehorning those things into a story, let's, let's just write up some, uh, some stats for those things and just fight them in, uh, in a white room and do it on a podcast and actually do the crunchy combat that, uh, that World of Darkness doesn't normally like you to do. Yeah, I would, I would definitely look forward to that, um, you know, doing some white room combat, getting to see a lot of the different kind of stuff that you can do with different powers and kind of, um, I mean, and, and the thing that's nice about World of Darkness, uh, you know, even though it's not very combat centric of a game, um, depending, I mean, Werewolf can be, but it's one of those games that um, in combat, you don't need to have, you know, figures showing where you are and stuff. You just kind of kind of get an idea of where you know you're in a bar room okay so that means there's a bar for me to jump behind there's you know different you know you don't need to know exactly where you are in the room as much as it you know i'm dodging behind the bar you know is what you can say for your dodge and stuff like that so you can you can get a base idea of what's going on without needing all the figures to show this is you know i need to take a five foot step here so that i'm flanking and you know so it's not dungeons and dragons but it can still be very uh crunchy and so i think that's something that uh, a lot of people i mean i've seen at larps they they might dedicate the entire night to doing a combat and it'll take them all night to do a combat you know a big combat type thing and and it's something that a lot of the times i've seen larps that have been going on for years and they're like we don't really ever do this so we're trying to get used to the new rules or to 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 the rules of combat in general because they don't do it very much and so i think that that might be something that would be really interesting to see from you um other than that um we will definitely be doing more character profiles on our um our madison under siege um campaign that we'll be running um and we will be uh, hopefully this year we'll be at origins gen con gamehole con and in 2000 in uh 19, um, we're getting ready to be at Midwinter for uh, conventions that we will be holding that game at. Um, some other real quick things that I just wanted to do a quick shout out for was a shout out to BK and the Midnight Express. Um, I've been on their podcast uh, twice now talking about my game, uh, Madison Under Siege. Um, and uh, after doing those podcasts with BK, um, I've decided to uh, start up this podcast because I really enjoyed uh, having conversations with him about the world of darkness and kind of want to continue doing that. So um, big shout out to him and thanks a lot for having me on your show, BK, and uh, and really, really got me started here. So thanks a lot. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, um, the, the retrospective. It's really great podcast highly suggest that you check it out it's uh, basically brings you through book one of vampire the masquerade all the way to the 25 years of vampire the masquerade and they bring you through book by book by book as they were published and it's one of the best vampire the masquerade podcasts i've ever listened to because it's just it really brings you through the timeline and the best podcast that i listened to on that was definitely the about chicago by night because that book is epic and they give you a really good breakdown so if you don't have the book or don't have a way of getting the book uh check out that podcast it'll give you an idea of what is inside of that book also darker days uh, radio um, has a lot of really great podcasts um, and i listen to them all the time and um, i'd like to thank them for being out on the airwaves um, and most of all thanks to all of our players that have participated in any of our events of course i wanted to uh, mention that i think our next episode we are going to be doing a retrospective of uh, Midwinter Con in Milwaukee that we went to in January. Where we yeah, that would be great. We yeah, include that. played in a LARP, and we met a bunch of the guys from Onyx Path, 
and just generally had a really awesome time at MidwinterCon. Uh, so we'll have just uh, a nice breakdown of that. And then I just wanted to try out uh, kind of a, a wrap-up thing, a couple of questions. So first one is from the Wraith system. If you were a Wraith, what would your fetters be? Yeah, uh, so the fetter that I would want, uh, or the fetter that I think that I would have uh, would probably be uh, probably my book collection. I would say the entire uh, World of Darkness book collection would be one of my fetters for sure. So, uh, my so as laptop. long as it, so as long as the collection stayed together, you would still be around. Um, I don't know. I might have to talk to the GM about. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, maybe just a maybe just the Mage Twentieth book. Uh, if I had to, if I had to bring it down to a single object of that, would be probably the Mage Twentieth Anniversary book that I've become very attached to. And then um, I would say, I'll definitely my computer would be would be a fetter of mine. Uh, my wife, if she was still alive, would be a fetter of mine. Your wife is alive right now, right? Oh yeah, she, but if, she, if 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 she was alive after I was dead, oh yeah, she is still alive right yeah. now. What about you? Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to figure out for me. Um. I have a blanket that my grandmother gave me when I was really young, and uh, I still have it, and it's still one of my favorite blankets, so that's kind of sentimental, but uh, but yeah, I think that would be one of them. And then honestly, if I died right now, probably my phone, because I spent so much time with that. Oh yeah, phones are definitely what we would, uh, what we would definitely, I think a lot of people would have their phone as a fetter nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, if I really had to think about it... Uh, there's a frying pan that I've had for a few years that I've probably used almost every day. So that's that's my answer. Um, and then uh, the other question that I want to ask anybody that's on this podcast is, what's a, a little interesting bit buried in one of the World of Darkness source books that you just think everybody should know about? Um, my little bit comes from the um, Revelations of the Dark Mother which is, uh, there's a little bit in there about the concept of shining ones and the idea that uh, Yahweh or uh, Jehovah is not um, a, is not the all-supreme, all-being God, that it's the, he is just a, uh, the firstborn of the gods and that there's like a whole bunch of different gods. They're all called shining ones and that Lucifer wouldn't be created by him. It would be, he would be a brother to God. And it was just some of the interesting stuff that they kind of bring out in the Dark Revelation, or Revelations of the Dark Mother really kind of brings out a, a very different kind of outlook on uh, on the hierarchy of the gods, so, so to say. Cool. Uh, so my and thing... what about you? Uh, my thing is from the Guide to the Technocracy, page 222. Uh, it's considered a technocratic device, and there's not a lot of stats for it, but it's a battle humunculus created by the progenitors and it's essentially just you know a, a created being that uh, can fight for you and they've got three different ones that they've kind of uh, detailed out one is the the Fidos which typically resemble really cute pets but they you know they can do some damage fluffies are referred to as Tentacled, multi-eyed, protoplasmic horrors spawned by the mind that read too many bad Lovecraft imitators. So if you, you know, that's a pretty interesting one. But the one that threw me for a loop was uh, the Joes. And these are the human form ones. Uh, and they come in three basic models. The Joe Average, who looks like a normal human. Joe Linebacker, who looks like a big football player. And my personal favorite, Kid Joe who looks like a child. So I'm just imagining, you know, a game where the technocracy is involved and all of a sudden you're in a situation where there's a bunch of kids around and all of a sudden they just start attacking you and they're way stronger than kids should be. And uh, it would just, I, I feel like that would be an interesting, you know, moral quandary in uh, in a game where it's like, Oh yeah, boy. that's, that's a I gotta, huge moral quandary. That, uh, that could really get the players talking to each other if they run into a problem like that. Like, what if what if one of them's not a homunculus? What if what if I just punch a regular kid in the face really hard? 
So, <laughs> well, anyway, so I think that's it. You good? Yeah, I think that uh, it's a good uh, good first run for our episode. Uh, definitely thanks to anybody who's listening. And uh, all right, so Motorori, this. If you want to go ahead and sign off? Yeah, this has been uh, Crossing Darkness with Motorori and. And Frozen Follow. All right, and we'll see you next time. Bye.